0: Good morning, everybody. My name is Chris. For those who haven't had a chance to meet me, I get to serve as one of the elders here at Calvary. And before we jump into the sermon, I just have a quick uh, quick announcement for everybody. Next Sunday, uh, April 25th, is Family Fun Day at the Beardsley Zoo in Bridgeport. Um, I don't know if if you knew this, and I don't know if this will make you feel uncomfortable, but there are two gigantic tigers less than two miles from this church. (laughs) And next Sunday, you've got the chance to go and check that out. Immediately following the second service, anybody who would like to can go. You do not have to have kids. It's church family, okay? Anyone is welcome to come. Uh, There'll be lunch at the zoo. You'll have to bring bring your lunch. But you do need to RSVP by today. Today is the last day that you can sign up. Um, If you're interested in signing up, go on the church website. There's a a little place there where you can click. You can get the itinerary for the day and all the plans and sign up. If you do have any questions, you could also ask Jim Taylor on your way out. He'll be out there by the door. Uh, But it will be a, a fun time to be together with people from your church, outdoors, looking at really interesting and exotic animals So uh, don't miss that chance if you're interested in just kind of being with some people in a fun way after the second service next Sunday. So today, we're not going to talk about tigers, we're going to talk about Exodus chapter 20. And before I do that, let me pray and we'll jump right into this text. God, we thank you so much. I thank you for the chance to deliver your word to your people this morning and God, I do need the Holy Spirit to take these words and do something supernatural here in this place. God, would you change hearts? Would you change minds? And God, would you help us to become the church that you want us to be? In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're going to pick up in Exodus chapter 20. And if you've been tracking with us, you realize that we're going to skip a couple chapters Go back and read those ones between where we were last week and this week. There's some really good stuff in there. But Exodus chapter 20, for those of you who may be a little familiar with the Bible, you may recognize that this is the 10 Commandments. And for some of you, when I said the 10 Commandments, I know that you immediately were like, oh no, Chris is just gonna give us a whole bunch of rules that we gotta follow or a whole bunch of things that we can or can't do. And for another group of you, you thought, oh, the Ten Commandments, that was that awesome movie that my parents used to watch like 100 years ago. And then I know that there's a few people here this morning, you're like, the Ten, what? And you have no idea. You're brand new to this, and that's awesome. We're glad that everybody is here. And I do believe that every single person here in this room and those listening are going to get something exciting and something important and something relevant from God's word. So last week, we learned that God's people literally had their backs up against the wall, and God rescued them through the Red Sea. And they're tracking southward now. You'll see um, the map come up in just a minute. They're tracking southward. They're moving down the Sinai Peninsula. Most scholars think that Uh, Mount Sinai, where Moses met with God, is located on the southern tip of the Sinai Peninsula. Exodus chapter 19, verse 1 tells us it's been about three months now since the Jewish people have left Egypt. They are now a large group of people, they're a nation of people. They're free, they're on their own. And God has chosen this point in the story to give his special people his laws for how he expects them to live. God has a special relationship with the Jewish people. And because God had a special relationship with them, he expected them to act in a special way, which is why he gives them his laws. Let me talk about that for just a second. This, this stuff, just bear with me for a couple seconds. We gotta go through some background information so that what we get to in the Ten Commandments is really going to make sense. So let me talk about law and covenant just for a minute. This is the important background stuff. God is giving the law to a group of people who are in a covenant with him. A covenant is another way to describe the relationship that the people have with God. God is giving these laws to a specific group of people at a specific point in time for a specific purpose. The Jews were in a covenant with God. And this law that we're about to read today is how people in this covenant with God were supposed to behave. Now, Exodus chapter 20, where we are today, is the very beginning of God giving his laws to the Jewish people. It starts here in Exodus 20, but it really doesn't finish until we get all the way through the book of Numbers, believe it or not. So God gives his people the introduction to the law here in Exodus 20, but it really is going to continue for a lot longer. We're not going to get to all of that today. But what we need to know today is that these laws were given to the ancient Jewish people to live by because they were in a special relationship with God. Called a covenant. Just a heads up at the beginning, and we'll unpack this at the end. Christians are no longer under the covenant that Moses was under. Christians live under a covenant which was begun by Jesus. It's a new covenant. So you know that from the beginning. But even though Christians today do not live under the covenant, the law that was given to Moses, there are so many things from these 10 Commandments that we can get today that are very applicable to us. So you may be wondering, okay, well, what do I do with these, all these laws that are in the Old Testament? Some of you who've read the Old Testament before, you know, oh my goodness, there's some really crazy laws in the Old Testament. What do I do with those? How do Christians apply those things? We could could have a whole message just on what do we do with Old Testament law, but let me just give you one tool that I think is going to help you understand how you can take the laws from the Old Testament and figure out how do they apply to people who are Christians living in the 21st century. So here it is. Here's your basic tool that I want you to use when you come across an Old Testament law. Look to the New Testament. Look in the New Testament and see if the command that was given in the Old Testament is confirmed by Jesus or another writer in the New Testament. Sometimes the command will be confirmed verbatim, like word for word. Other times you'll see that the principle underneath the command in the Old Covenant is reaffirmed in the New Covenant, in which case it would apply to Christians. We'll unpack that a little bit as we get into a couple of these, but I do want you to know from the beginning here, what we're looking at today, these Ten Commandments, they are applicable to Christians living in the 21st century because as we read the pages of the New Testament, we see that these principles and these laws are all affirmed in the New Testament, okay? Are you with me? All right, I'm getting some head nods. This is good. The topic of, of, like I said, the topic of understanding what do we do with these Old Testament laws, it's a huge topic. I'd be happy to talk with anybody who has any other questions after the service. But for now, the tool we're going to try to use is we're going to look at the New Testament and see if the stuff in the Old Testament is confirmed, okay? You're with me. We've got some background information. One more thing I need to say before we even start reading the Ten Commandments, and maybe this is the most important. The Ten Commandments are not ten ways that you can get to heaven. They are not ten ways that you can make God love you by doing these ten things. Doing good is never going to be enough to get you to be with God. We're going to dig into that. We're going to unpack that, but keep that in your mind as we get going. So, Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. Here we go. God spoke all these Egyptians, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God begins by reminding the Jewish people who he is and what he has done. Now, anybody who's a parent, you've probably done this yourself. You probably defined the relationship with your kid at one point, and you said, Hey, listen to me, little kid. I'm the dad. You're the kid, this is how things go, listen to me. Did anybody do that? Am I the only one that did that? Maybe some of you who are moms might say, hey, little kid, little stubborn little kid, if it wasn't for me, there would be no you. Do you get that? So at the beginning of this passage here, God is defining for the Jewish people, hey, this is what the relationship is like. I'm the one who brought you out of Egypt. I'm the one who carried you. At verse 19, or verse four of chapter 19, God says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. God is starting off these commandments by saying, hey, let's remember how things go between you and me. I'm the one that just rescued you. You got that? You understand why it's important? It's important as we get into these things to to remember God is beginning by reminding us who we're dealing with here. So this is how God expects his people to live. And here we go, the Ten Commandments. And you're going to see the first four of these commandments, they all are about loving God. The last six of these commandments, they're all about loving your neighbor, now, some of you who know, you know the New Testament, you know Jesus, you're thinking, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Because do you remember that time Jesus, he's, he's being questioned all the time by people. And, and he had to summarize the entire law. And do you remember how Jesus summarized the whole law? He said, love God and love your neighbor. And that makes perfect sense because that's exactly how these Ten Commandments are structured. First 4, all focused on loving God. Next 6. Loving our neighbor. Okay, here we go. Number one, verse three of chapter 20. You shall have no other gods before me. Commandment number one, only God. That phrase, before me, that you probably see in the Bible, that's just a Hebrew idiom. What it means is that God is not one God who's above all the other gods. God is not one God who happens to be stronger than all the other gods. When God says, there shall be no other gods before me, what God is telling them is that there are no other gods. There is no other God. For the Jews, this meant that they were in an exclusive relationship with God. There were no other options. There were no other gods on the table. The God they were worshiping was not the strongest among many. He was the God, the only God. It's so important to view these commandments in the context of a covenant because God God is looking for exclusivity with his people. He doesn't want them to have any other gods on the table because there are no other gods. And you know, it it really doesn't matter at the end of the day. As much as I may say it sometimes, it doesn't matter if you like the Yankees one day and the Red Sox the next day. It really doesn't matter if you go to Dunkin' Donuts one day and Starbucks the next, or if you're into chocolate one day and vanilla the next. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But that is not how it works with God. God doesn't work that way. He requires and expects exclusivity. He doesn't want his people to flirt with other things beside him because God doesn't share his title, God, with anyone ever. He never did, and he never will. And that really flows very naturally into verse four and five, which is our second commandment. Don't make idols. Absolutely nothing from the created world can be duplicated and used as an object of worship. Verse four and five, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Idolatry, and I think, I think Western Westerners tend to misunderstand idolatry a lot. Idolatry is not just bowing down to worship a statue. Idolatry is a whole worldview. It's an entire way of seeing the world, which is different from the way that the God of the Bible expects his people to see the world. It's a whole different way of seeing the world. The problem And there are many people in this world today who do bow down to statues, they do worship statues, but the problem is not the statue. The problem is the entire way of seeing the world which attributes worth and value to something that is not worthy and not valuable. That is the heart of idolatry. And that's why idolatry is not limited to the bowing down to statues. Idolatry includes the worship of all kinds of things. Anything that replaces God in our minds as having more worth or more value or more importance, that is idolatry. Idolatry is linked with our eyes and it's linked with our hearts. What do we desire most? And what do our hearts turn to For trust. What do our hearts turn to when we feel lonely or afraid or defeated? If it's not God that we desire most, most likely we're in an idolatrous relationship with someone or something. And I know this is a heavy thing to say, but God, in His absolute love for us, is inviting us to turn from all of those things today. God is inviting us, even in the quietness here, even in the stillness of this moment, as you sit in your seat, God is inviting you to quietly pray prayers of, God, God, I'm so sorry. I'm turning from it, God, and I'm turning to you. And God loves you so much. He is so gracious and so kind and so quick to forgive his people when we turn back to him. And you know, God is so concerned with his glory and with his majesty and with his honor that God even requires his people to speak about his name in a way that honors him. Verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Number three, don't mess with God's name. God expects reverence. One way that people disrespected God's name was by the way they spoke about him. They used God's name flippantly, as if it didn't matter, as if it didn't have weight to it. But there's something special about the name of God There's a weightiness to it, a heaviness to the name of God that is unlike any other name. I don't don't know if any of you remember way back in high school, college, periodic table of elements. Anybody remember? couple head nods. Okay. I think there's 118 of them. I could be wrong. Periodic table of elements. Okay. On the periodic table of elements, some elements have more density, more weightiness to them than others do. You know what I mean? Some of them are very light. They're not dense at all, like helium or hydrogen or lithium. Very light, very not dense at all, not weighty at all. But there's some elements on the periodic table that are heavy, they're dense. They have a density to them. When I was a kid, my dad was a, he was a manufacturing engineer at an aerospace company, which meant that I used to always end up with these interesting materials in my house, all different types of metals. And I can remember one time, my dad let me hold a metal that's called tungsten. The periodic uh, letter is W, I think, for all you chemists in the room. But this element, this metal called tungsten, it was heavy. I remember holding that piece of metal and thinking, oh my goodness, this thing is dense. Even though it's little, it feels like it it weighs way more than it should for its size. Have any of you ever held something like that? You thought, oh man, this is way heavier than it should be. This is way heavier, way bigger, much weightier than I expected and you know what? God's name is like that. God's name far outweighs every name and despite its grammatical size, God's name is heavy because God is the one who made everything we see, everything we will see. God is the one who rescued his people from Egypt God's name is heavy and weighty and should be honored by God's people. And for the Jewish people, at this point in the story, God's name was heavy. You know why? Three months before we get to this text, they had just seen their God, whose name was Yahweh, stomp all over the fake gods of the people of Egypt and show that there is truly only one to be dealt with. God's name had weightiness for these people. But you know what? We know the story of these people. Why? Because we, I know my own story. I know how easy it is for God's name to start to feel like helium instead of heaviness. It happens so quickly and so easily. And the lighter, the lighter that God's name becomes, the easier it is to forget the first two commandments. God, I am praying now that in this room, that you would kindle in our hearts an incredible sense of the weightiness of your name, God. God knows we need this constant reminder of who he is because we forget so easy. And I think that that's part of the reason behind the fourth commandment and why God gives his people this Sabbath day one day every single week where they stop what they're doing and they remember who their God is. Commandment number four, don't forget to stop. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner within your gates. God gives his people this beautiful gift called the Sabbath to stop what they're doing, not necessarily because they need rest, but because they need to remember the God who rescued them. This is one of those commandments I was talking about. It's talked about by Jesus a lot in the New Testament. So I want to encourage you, when you've got time this week, Read the New Testament and what Jesus says about the Sabbath. He defines it, he redefines it, he clarifies it for us. And so we built our foundation. Our first four commandments, all focusing our hearts on the God who gave the commandments. And now we move into six ways that we can love our neighbor as ourself. Verse 12 of chapter 20. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor. Commandment number five, honor mom and dad. God is expecting for his people to honor their parents. And interestingly, this blessing, a lot of times we think this blessing is just for individuals, but this is a communal blessing that God is giving to the people of Israel, that if they honor their parents, they will be blessed in the land that God is giving them. And the concept of a well-functioning community of faith is a concept that is found in each of these six commandments to love one another. God expects his community of faith to love one another. That's why the commandments that follow, they're all about how a community of faith can live well together. Don't kill people. Keep sex within marriage. Don't steal. Be content with what you have. And as Americans, we do tend to think very individualistically. And we read the Ten Commandments and we're like, oh yeah, I'm doing that. I got that. I I got that all by myself. I'm good. And we forget that God gave these commandments to a community. And so as we're reading Exodus 20, we've got to think communally as well as individually. And when we're reading the New Testament we're seeing the commands God gives to the church, it's not just to individuals, it's to a community. So honor mom and dad. Number six, don't kill others. Don't put someone to death improperly, for selfish reasons. No unauthorized person or group is to take the life of another. And the big idea, I think, behind this text is that God does not want people to take matters of killing into their own hands. I know with this text, we could have a lot of debate, a lot of questions, we could talk about just war theory, we could talk about killing and self-defense, capital punishment. We obviously don't have time to do that all this morning. But I will say that any discussion of any of those things must require you to take seriously this verse in Exodus 20 as well as other verses in the scripture. So put together command number five and number six. What do you get? Don't kill mom and dad, okay? All you kids got that? Okay, kids, be nice to your parents this afternoon. Don't kill them. All right, number seven, keep sex within the boundary of marriage. Sex outside of marriage is a violation of the marriage covenant between a man and a woman and a violation of the covenant between God and his people. Now, earlier I was talking about how Jesus often will take commandments from the Old Testament and he will give further teaching on them to help us better understand the intent of them. And this is a really good example of that. If you look at Jesus' teaching in Matthew chapter 5, verse 27, Jesus says, he says these words, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So this is one of those examples of how Jesus takes an old covenant command, and he takes it in his teaching, and he further clarifies it to help us understand the real heart of what's behind the commandment. Okay? Number eight, don't take what's not yours. Obviously, that would be uh, including what we're talking about in number seven. Don't take someone else's husband or wife, but... Obviously, that would include anything else that belongs to somebody else. God doesn't want us to steal. Number nine, tell the truth, especially in court. That's the context here, but that word anyone or uh, neighbor, rather, in verse 16, it can refer to anybody. Tell the truth. And number 10, desire the right things. Don't desire things that you shouldn't. And in case we need clarification of what we should not desire, we get some of that in verse 17. He says, don't covet anything that is your neighbor's. Coveting is wanting something that is not rightfully yours to want in the first place. So does your neighbor have a nicer car? Do they have a nicer house? Do they have a nicer spouse? Don't desire those things. Don't fantasize about the car, the house, or the spouse. They're not yours to desire. Whew, we made it through. We made it through all ten. And I know that sermons like this, they can land on different people in different ways, can't they? Because I know that there's some people, when we hear these ten commandments, we feel tempted to be like self-righteous oh yeah, I got that, I'm good. And then there's other people who hear this sermon like this and you feel like a complete failure because you know that you're not doing anything right. You're, not, you're messing up all kinds of these commandments. So there's probably two groups of people in here, those that are like, I got this, I'm good, and those that are thinking, I don't got this, I am not good. So for that first group that thinks you got this, Really? I mean, really, (laughs) can anybody, not just anybody in this room, but can anybody on this planet say that they can stand in front of God, and I know that I can't, can anybody stand in front of God and say, God, I perfectly love you all the time, and I perfectly love my neighbor as myself? I don't think anybody can. (laughs) Paul says that nobody's righteous. When I was in the Navy, I used to have to stand inspection in my dress white uniform, and I would spend hours folding, pressing, cleaning, polishing, making sure everything was perfect. And no matter what happened, whenever that commanding officer came to inspect me, guess what? There was always a problem. There was always something that was out of place. Something was always wrong. And that's what it's like with God, believe it or not. It's, not. it's not that God is just nitpicky. It's not like he just wants to find things wrong with us, but it's just the honest truth that none of us can stand in front of him and say, God, I got this, I'm good, I'm okay. And now, if this sermon is doing its job, everyone in this room feels miserable. <laughs> I think it's working. But that's not the end of this story, is it? A lot of us know that this story does not end here with us just feeling miserable and reading these 10 commandments and thinking, I can't do anything right, God. And the reason why the story doesn't end that way is because of Jesus. And towards the end of Jesus' time on the earth, Jesus got his disciples together. He got them together for this last supper. And you know what he said to them in Luke chapter 22? He said in Luke twenty-two twenty, 20, this cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. Jesus is saying here that something new is happening because of his blood, because of his death on the cross. A new covenant has begun. There's a new way that we can relate with God. God knows. None of us can do these things perfectly. He knows not one person can perfectly fulfill the law. He knows none of us is perfect. Even my family knows I'm not perfect. Don't you think God knows that none of us are perfect? He knew it. He got it. He understood it. And he made a way, a new covenant through his blood. He knew that no matter how hard we try to clean ourselves, we'll still be stained. But through faith in Jesus, a new way has opened for the people of God to receive God's gift of righteousness. Galatians chapter 3 verse 24 says this. It says, so then the the law, the law is all those commandments we've been learning about. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. The old way by which people related to God, the law, it was a guardian, it was leading us somewhere. Who was it leading us to? To Jesus. It was leading us to Christ, the answer. Romans 8 verse three says, "'God has done what the law, "'weakened by the flesh, could not do.'" God did what we can't do. We can all admit we can't do it, God. We can't. I can't. You can't. But God did. That's the good news of the new covenant, the new way. God did what we couldn't do. God did what the Jewish people couldn't do. And believe me, as we study the Old Testament together, we are going to see that no matter how many times the Jewish people tried, they determined, to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get this right. I'm going to stop lusting. I'm going to stop coveting. I'm going to stop doing idolatry. They tried again and again and again and again, and they couldn't do it. But there's a new way. Jesus did it perfectly. The Bible says that Jesus was perfect, which means that he did every single one of these commandments perfectly all the time. He was killed on a cross, and he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says in Romans 8 verse 4 that through faith in Jesus and because he died on the cross, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. The righteous requirement of the law, the, the requirement of the law is this, do this stuff, be perfect, be right before God, and we can't do it, but the Bible says Jesus did it. And when we trust him, the righteous requirements, that burden that we were feeling on our shoulders of not being able to do this It is done for us by Jesus. Are you with me? Yeah, you could even say amen. Yeah, that's allowed here. Something amazing happens when a person admits to God, I can't do this, and chooses to follow Jesus. The things we can't do on our own are done by Jesus. We are made clean because of Jesus. We become God's children because of Jesus. We receive the Holy Spirit because of Jesus. There was a man in the Bible whose name was Paul. And Paul spent so much of his life working so hard to try to do all of those commandments of God perfectly. And he couldn't do it. Believe me, he tried. But nobody can do it. And one day, Paul met Jesus, and he discovered this new way that Jesus had opened makes the impossible possible now. These are Paul's words to describe what happened. Philippians gives us these details. Verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Get this, get verse 9. Verse 9 is the key. And be found in him, in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Don't miss this. This is so important. Paul was working hard to do all the righteous good things on his own. He says he can't do it. Verse 9 says, I'm giving up instead of working to earn God's righteousness. Paul says, I happily receive it as a gift through faith in Jesus. Paul was totally focused on trying to perfectly follow all those commandments. The ones we read today, plus like 600 more. He was trying really hard to please God by doing everything right, trying on his own. But one day, one day God shows up. Look what Paul says in verse 8. I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. One day, Paul met the God who gave the commands he had been working his whole life to obey. He met the God who spoke those commands in the first place, and everything changed. Paul had been trying to follow the rules his whole life, but when he met the God who gave the rules, everything changed for him. Every effort was nothing compared to the effort of Jesus. Every good deed he did, he says, was like a dirty piece of cloth compared to the purity of Jesus. And like I told you, when I was in the Navy, I could try as hard as I want to look good and perfect, but there was always something wrong, something that doesn't measure up. And I know this morning there's some people here who are trying so hard to follow all the laws of God. But you don't know the God who gave those laws. You're trying hard to do what God says, but you don't know the God who says. I invite you this morning to enter into a relationship with the god who gave these laws but the god who loves you more than you could ever imagine I know there's some people here as i said in the beginning who are working hard to do these things so that god will love you so that you'll be accepted by god you can't follow these perfectly you'll never be able to love god perfectly and love other people perfectly And so this morning, I'm inviting you to turn. Turn from trying hard on your own to follow these commands in order to get God to love you and receive God's gift of forgiveness and righteousness that he wants to give to you as he gave it to Paul. God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to do what you and I could never, ever do. And I do want to encourage you, if you don't know the God who I'm talking about, don't leave this place until you talk to somebody who can help guide you to take those first steps, to know the God who gave these laws and the God who loves you more than you could ever imagine. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. God, I thank you so much. Sometimes it feels overwhelming to know what to do with these scriptures. But God, I think I can see clearly that these scriptures are pointing us to Jesus. He's the only one who did it perfectly. And God, I pray for anyone here in this room, anybody listening, Who maybe they've realized that they've been trying to do things for you, but they don't actually know who you are. I pray that they would have the courage to take a step of faith and to enter into that relationship with you that you're offering to them this morning. God, we thank you for being with us this morning, and in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.